You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Tharawal and the Wurundjeri people, respectively. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Enjoy this week's episode. It's David James Young here, back for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Thanks so much for tuning in and checking this out. In case you didn't hear up the top, this is the first episode under the new banner of the podcast network that I have just launched, Not For Print Podcasts. I am very excited to be kicking this new era off. This is something I've wanted to do for quite a while, and uh, yeah, it's literally in the first few days yet, but uh, I am super, super excited about it. Don't forget to follow along on Instagram for more info. The uh, link to that is in the show notes for this episode, which it had to happen, didn't it? (laughs) This is our first episode recorded in isolation. We have recorded this one remotely. I was here in my home in Wollongong, and he was out in rural Victoria, the man of the hour, Henry fucking Waggons himself, the one and only beloved Australian singer-songwriter, host of Delivered Live, and the host of Tower of Song every Monday night on Double J. He and his band Waggons have been around for just over 20 years delivering alt country to the masses both here and abroad they have just released a brand new ep it is entitled need a ride and thanks to the wonderful joe corbett who hit me up who wanted to get henry on the show so we could talk about it we managed to make it work a couple of sundays ago this is the most recent episode recorded obviously we are gonna delve back into the archives again very very soon and work our way through those but uh, I had so much fun putting this one together that I had to prioritize it. Again, a huge thank you to Joe Corbett for helping to set this one up and a big thank you to Henry himself for taking the time to speak to me. This was a really, really fun one. Uh, He got the format instantly, really connected with it. It was just awesome. It was really, really great. I am super excited to share this one with you. And, uh, Super excited for you to hear this new Wagons EP. I think this is some of the best stuff they have done in ages. So definitely give it a spin if you get a chance. And don't forget to check out Tower of Song every Monday night from 8pm on Double J if you want to hear a bit more from Henry Wagons himself. Alright, not too much more to say, but I will remind you, as always. This podcast is made possible with the support of people just like yourself. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from. Five stars, obviously, would be preferable. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. We are on Spotify, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and every other app in between. Just search for Bar Bands. I mean, that's how you got here in the first place. You know the score. Tell a friend about what we're doing. If you have any friends that are into Henry, 
Henry's work or indeed the work of any of the other people that we've spoken to, please hit them up. And if you are in a position to do so, please consider supporting me over on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you will gain access to bonus content, early episodes, exclusive features, and a bunch of other stuff I am working on within the realm of my work as a writer, a podcaster, and a musician. As always, we'd love to give a massive thank you to Adam Turner, Amy Gray, Bill Robinson, Blake Hennequin, Catherine Burgess, Chris Bowden, Chris Kearns, Dave McCarthy, David Armstrong, David Beckett, Elliot J. O'Neill, Eloise Young, Jeremy Dillon, Jeremy Neal, Jonathan Elvery, Carly Herring, Katie Beershaw, Lachlan Kanowick, Leslie Bowden, Liam Sherlaw, Mark Wilson, Mary Gleason, Matthew Lynch, Paddy Abelos, Paul McWhorter, Philip Spiteri, Simon Bath, and Will McDougall. If you would like to join this list of absolute legends, please head over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash David James Young. All right, that about does it. If you would like to get in touch, barbandspod at gmail.com is the one to hit up, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Facebook at David James Young Writes or on Instagram at DJY Writes. Don't forget to check out Not For Print Podcasts on Instagram and visit all my friends barbands.com for any further information you might need. That's about it. All right, let's get into it right now. Let's cross over to Country Victoria via North Wollongong. This is my chat with the one, the only, Henry Waggins. <laughs> Ever-growing walls Dodging cannonballs With all these wars going on We've just been through the roughest time In our lives we need to win Hi everyone, I'm David James Young And all my friends are in bar bands Today I would like to introduce you to my friend Henry fucking Waggers <laughs> I like it, good to meet you Likewise, a pleasure, how you doing man? Yeah, I'm good David I'm having a, a chilled out weekend. For a musician, just about every weekend's relatively chilled out these days. Yes, indeed. I mean, you've been pretty busy the last few weekends being a host with the most, so I, I guess you've gotten your fix that way. I've won, I've been one of the rare exclusive few that has actually been to gigs yeah. every Saturday for the last 12 weeks. For this whole pandemic, I've been watching gigs along with two cameramen, a soundie and a lighting guy um, as part of Delivered Live. It's been really, really fun. And it's anchored me. Yeah, you know, totally. I, I don't think I'm quite insane <laughs> yet. <clears throat> I think musicians are already on the verge of insanity as yeah. it stands for being such a strange game. But I, I've managed to keep my head on straight so far. It's been quite good. You know, my dad's in America, which is a, is a worry and an ongoing source of anxiety yeah. but relatively speaking there's also a lot of good and amazing stuff that's been happening through this has it been for you the same for you too i yeah i i think so like for me it's really just kind of been focusing on 
what I can do rather than what I can't. And it's just like, okay, so I can't support these bands by going out and seeing their shows. At least, you know, when, you know, those band camp things come up, I'll, I'll buy their records and support them that way. I'll buy their shirts when they've got new shit coming out. You know, I'll find... You legend. You know, just you got to find your various ways in and out to, you know, kind of try and keep the boat afloat in your own way, you know. I hear, uh, and that's very kind of you. I think it's great that the industry and people that you know are into music are, are, are doing that and band camp's a normal thing now i feel like band camp is now a, like a mainstream known outlet yeah and it is no secret that you get more directly to bands by buying stuff on Bandcamp than you do the point zero 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 whatever percent on streaming services so yeah. you know people have been really supportive on on uh on those kind of platforms and it's great it's great people are buying t-shirts helping people out while they can't play the local dive bar just for context uh, normally uh, i introduce these and i explain uh what day it is and where we are and usually we're out the back of a pub we're backstage somewhere and i'm um, scraggling mics together to try and get heard over various sound checks but uh it is Sunday afternoon, and for the first time in Bar Band's history, I am not in the same room as the person I am interviewing. Yeah, hey. how's this? Well, this is a world record. This yeah, is baby. great. I'm, uh, you know, this is I'm a alt country Americana musician, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, we like being on the frontier. This is this is yeah. the fucking wild west, man. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad to be here. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally. I also usually begin these by explaining where I met the person or saw the person for the first time. And so we haven't met uh, directly, but the first time I saw you guys play was, I think it was a Blood, Sweat and Beers at the Annandale, probably like five or six years ago. Uh, I think Harmony were on the same bill and like a bunch of yeah. other like random bands and God I love that band. Yeah, fuck they're incredible, right? Mm. Um yeah, Tom, previous guest of the show, very, very good friend of mine. Great songwriter, one of Australia's best, I think. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Erica as well, wonderful person who's been on the show as well. That was yeah, the one of the first of many times I've seen you uh venture out onto the bar and uh deliver your Henry Wagon sermon from there. So that was that was very entertaining. The story checks out, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I do love that Annandale bar. And, it, what it, you know, I, I feel like even though in this pandemic, uh, state rivalry seems to be upping the ante more and more, yeah. I'm happy you're yeah. associating with me in any way as a Melbourneite, <laughs> you know. It's, oh, yeah, it's, of course. You know, you're not allowed to. You're not supposed to be. Not right now, yeah. <laughs> but I don't really subscribe to it. And I love Sydney. I, was, I don't know. I feel like uh, Sydney's bar scene and venue scene since the liquor laws changed, maybe near on 10 years ago, has just grown and blossomed. Yeah. And, and it, it, the, the nightlife there is incredible. And that is where I dwell. Yeah, I've come to love Sydney so much. And I can honestly yes. say, this is a long way around of saying, I feel like in the day it was open for live rock and roll, there was nothing in Australia that was quite like a full Annandale hotel oh, for an Australian music experience. I, it, it's one of my favourite rooms. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of playing it. I played it for the first time maybe oh, near on 15 years ago when I supported Bonnie Prince Billy. Damn. And I got to, um, yeah, I got to experience 
my first full Annandale hotel then and 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 I've since you know played with Justin Townsell there some weird you know shows with like Dallas Crane oh, sure. and, and, and Wagons have been like lucky enough to to play a few ourselves and and man that room is is special and and one of the biggest tragedies that they're not doing fully fledged shows anymore absolutely absolutely so i begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music specifically where it changed from being something that you were watching on tv listening to on the radio etc to becoming something where it's like this is what i want to do i want to sing i want to play guitar i want to be in a band all that sort of thing can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing and if there was kind of a switch on moment for you where you saw something or heard something and just like I'm going to do that I've got this strange uh, musical heritage uh, in that my granddad whose name's Henry Cripps with a K was the conductor of the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra and my great uncle Uncle Joseph conducted the Viennese Philharmonic in in and around World War Two. Right. It's like this. I've got yeah. this crazy classical heritage. But my granddad died when when he was uh, when I was ten, and uh, I never met my great uncle. But I've got this sort of music in the blood. Neither of my parents would classify themselves as musical, and I'm not throwing them under the bus by saying that, but they can't (laughs) get through a song. They can't hold a note. But for some reason, when I was going through, I I was finishing high school, going into uni, and I'd had guitar lessons when I was seven or eight, but I I reckon I lasted four weeks. Uh, And I picked it up for lack of anything else better to do and started strumming along towards the end of school. And it kind of clicked with me uh, and I started while I was doing my arts degree and getting deep into philosophy nerddom. I wanted to be an academic. That's what I was hurtling towards. I wanted that kind of deep wank scene, (laughs) (laughs) you know, of of academia, fine wines, tall bookshelves, leather bound books. That's the sort of shit I was headed towards. And I was always playing in bands part-time and I played in this band called Dvozhets. That was my first real band, which is the Polish word for train station. It was like a noise band where I played analog synth and we played in these amazing venues like the Punters Club and in around Fitzroy, the What Is Music festivals and these... And we sounded like essentially a TV that's out of tune. We just (laughs) were like this experimental band. It was my first... And we played like for half an hour one song going... And I adored it. I loved the performance and stuff, but... From from growing up, this is a long answer to your question, apologies. Not at all. Uh, I, I always grew up on mum's VHSs of Elvis live, sort of from the 70s. You know, I really got into the Blues Brothers when I was growing up and there was something about performance and song craft that really I really got into and I just wanted to make songs. So even though I was sitting on an analogue synth making noise, I actually just wanted to make charming crazy songs yeah and i ended up in the same spirit of the noise band that was really diy i made my own tapes in this sort of country project which was called wagons from the get-go and i handed around tapes to friends and handed in a few to triple r a community station here in melbourne and i only made 25 tapes but since my first open microphone in west melbourne at a heavy metal pub called the Art House on a Tuesday night. R.I.P. It's 
Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. You know it. You of know course, it. Man. Um, yeah, yeah. Matt um, and Mel, um, was, they ran the Rev as well. Yeah, incredible people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was my first ever gig, and it's had a crazy momentum ever since. I feel like we've never had to push shit uphill with wagons. Like I, I hand in those tapes. I got an interview uh, as out of that open mic. We got to support other bands, and it's had without having to force it slowly like a amoeba <laughs> like a disease I, 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 like overtaken my yeah. career okay it's 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 weird talking about a a virus oh, at yeah. the moment but it kind of is it's <laughs> it's it's kind of slowly you know consumed my lungs um throughout my life and and now i'm i'm, I'm living and breathing my existence as henry wagons mm. so you know it's not my real name. My, my real name's the same as my granddad's, Henry Cripps, but I was, became named after my band, so it was sort of a weird, yeah. weird kind of reversal there. And now, now my now my daughter's called Casper Wagons, so <laughs> it's it it really has taken over. So you grew up around Melbourne, like suburban. Whereabouts were you? I was really near the milk bar on Waverley Road in in Glen Waverley. I spent some time in in East Burwood. So the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, you know, about eight to nine exits down on the southeastern arterial. The most exciting thing there was, you know, buying a bubble bill. <laughs> uh, you know, pretty much it was a classic suburban existence. We had a, a backyard that I'd run around in, you know, played a basketball hung out and you know i had a a, a wide bmx uh, territory that i'd i'd go around you know it was a bit more free range compared to the way uh you you bring up a kid nowadays no you know parenting's quite a different <laughs> vibe now like basically you used to be able to come home and then just yeah. head out on your bike and make sure you're home for dinner yeah. it's a bit more uh watchful <laughs> so yeah roam the streets of uh glen waverley and, and east burwood so you would have had a pretty immediate access to record stores and gigs and that sort of stuff growing up as well i did i i moved i went to Melbourne Uni I didn't really fully get immersed in into music until after I finished school actually I didn't really play that much during high school I, I didn't really learn music until I was in my really really late teens and many of those uh, who listen to my music can probably tell that I'm still I still I'm still an amateur having been in the band for 22 years I, I, I came to it relatively late but I feel like in a weird way what I bring to music is uh, I maybe had my training as a songwriter in being fascinated with being deeply nerdy <laughs> you know yeah. just reading books and you know getting deep into philosophy and that kind of thing which kind of trained me to write songs yeah. in maybe a, a more appropriate way than taking piano lessons maybe so you didn't have bands in high school or anything like that or like it, it was only after like you started uni that you were starting to properly play and stuff some of the people in my band now were in bands at my school. Yeah, right. I, I had friends that were in bands, but I never played in them. I got right into the indie noise scene as a late teen. But I wanted to make these songs. I wanted to make country songs and sort of Vegasy showbiz tunes. I knew that the, the indie musicians I was hanging out with, I wanted to have 
virtuosos. So I called back on some of my friends that I went to high school with that I know could absolutely shred a guitar solo. And I called them up yeah. and they were sort of playing in a funk band called Mars. And I'm like, hey, you want to play in my country band? And they're like, uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mani- <laughs> but I managed to convince them. And here I've still roped most of them in uh, many, many years later. Brilliant. It's brilliant. not bad. It's a fun band to play in. No yeah. doubt. No <laughs> doubt. So was that Noise Collective you were talking about, was that the first act that you ever like played live with? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I got to get a taste of, you know, being on stage, getting free booze. Admittedly, it was a very refined sort of, well, reserved crowd. Mm. You know, it was kind of high art. It wasn't as rock and roll as maybe I wanted it to be. And that informed the direction I I went, I think. It was a bit of a reaction. If you look up Dvozhets, D-W-O-R-Z-E-C, we were mostly pre-streaming, you know, pre internet but there's stuff floating around we pressed our own vinyl and did new zealand lathe cut things like some weird guy in new zealand made us clear vinyl in an edition of of 40 or something like that i remember getting them shipped and we sat around and cut and pasted out thing it was it was a good it it was a a good way to learn the nuts and bolts where i've definitely not come from a history where I just started and got in a popular band, and I, yeah. I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I've, I've, it's been it's been from the ground up. Yeah, totally. How long was the transition period between that group ending and you starting to, you know, write these new wagon songs and kind of forge, you know, into into that and start performing under that moniker? It overlapped. Yeah, right. I was sort of performing in a few bands. I was in an, a sort of indie band playing bass called Breaking the Law, named after a Judas Priest song as the well. The best Judas and Priest we, song. Yeah, it's a, it is the best. It is the best. You're a legend, David. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, I was playing in a few bands as you did. Every, it was a lot of cross-pollination. Of People course, would pop up yeah. in another band. When Wagon started touring and becoming... Uh, something a bit bigger I really missed and still miss playing in other bands actually yeah yeah and I pester my friends sometimes who who used to uh, really run and was the front person of breaking the law to get us back together I love I really miss the days of being able to rock up to a gig late show up and go (laughs) you know after sound you know just show up for sound check and it's like where's the rider what's on the rider uh, when do we have to be here? Okay, see you in a couple of hours. Bye. <laughs> no, 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 you, you know, that sort of low-key participation in the in the gig. And, totally. Uh, I miss that. <laughs> it's fun. It's much more fun. It's not actually. There's less rewards. So what other bands were there? So the, the main ones I, w- I was in, in and around the late 90s, Vosgettes, Breaking the Law. Mm-hmm. I was in a band called The Ancients that was had overlapping personnel with Breaking the Law and also Wagons. And I played solo as well under Hendry Wagons. So there were all these different guises and that was my social life, really. Most yeah, of the time right. we, we were just playing to our friends, making tapes, making CDRs. I remember there was even a mini disc phase 
you know. Oh, uh, true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we just pass it around, hang out, have beers and play to 20 people. And, you know, at various stages you went through little peaks and troughs and you had your launches and all that sort of mm. stuff. But then at a certain point, wagons snowballed a little bit. We, we put out an EP and I started getting interviews on Triple R and uh, getting a bit of play on Triple J. And all of a sudden I wasn't just playing to my friends and family, but there were these other strange drunk people that were showing up and you know we were starting to sell some tickets and and move forward and there's nothing like the potential of filling venues making a bit more money to attract the industry cogs and all of a sudden we had management and an agent and that stuff didn't really come until we'd been already playing for five six years really casually playing in bunch of bands just we did a lot of residencies and they got bigger and bigger and there was a certain threshold where it's like the industry like moths to a flame it's like we can make money off these losers <laughs> and and all, and all of a sudden it all all came together and I found myself touring around Australia and around the world and playing South by and all yeah. that but not I was already you know in my late 20s sure. when, when all that happened I sort of am thankful that we kind of had our heads screwed on when when all that business went down. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wagons is the first band you like properly tour with. Like yeah. the rest of the bands were just kicking around Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, I remember uh, Dvojets went over to Adelaide a couple times. Oh, you sure. You know, we crossed the border. We went and played some noise music festivals and we did a, a few road trips, stopped off, had some vanilla slices in Horsham, <laughs> got ourselves a pie in Keith, you know, stopped off for a bacon and egg roll in Murray Bridge. But it was mostly Adelaide, weirdly, that we went to. A couple gigs in Sydney. But yeah, the Wagons is the first one that we properly got to see the world with. Yeah. So what do you remember about those first few tours with those guys? (sighs) They were hazy days. Indeed. I I think it it, it was... (laughs) (laughs) We drink. I think there's 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 a huge tradition and borderline expectation to get shit-faced at a Wagons gig, both both band and audience, you know. And sure, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird uh, line of work where your office is full of booze. Like you wander in, it's like, excuse me, sir, Henry and crew, this is your office for the evening, which is the green room. And then you walk in and there's a wall full of booze and there's, a che- you know, maybe some cheese. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, okay, this is our work. We are expected to consume this and they're not going to drink themselves (laughs) exactly so yeah those early days there was a lot of drinking a lot of late nights lots of travel lots of early mornings lots of hungover mornings from from town to town yeah there's a lot of time in the car but we all thankfully like each other and and still do it's i've tried to run the band pretty loose not overly burden everyone with lots of rehearsals Mm. um just try to keep it friendly and low maintenance and low pressure and 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 just ride on that kind of natural momentum that we've always had and totally i don't know about you but my favorite gigs that i see are ones that are on the verge of collapse right yeah not in the sense that the band's shit or uh, you know are incompetent they've got to be good Mm. 
but like the Rolling Stones or someone, there's got to be a looseness and a danger to mm. it. And I feel like if a band is two together, what the fuck have I left my house for? Yeah. You know, it's like, what's what's the point? Why why am I here? I mean, there are actually, you know, some bands, I imagine some, ver- like, if, you, if you're seeing a real, really tight, metal band yeah. you know that's kind of really mathematical uh, perfor- you know practice and performance and repetition and tightness is crucial or like a hardcore band with the 30 second songs it's got to be yeah. and it just stop you know but i think for a lot of music a- an element of danger is needed like mm. a- and i feel like if you are too considered and you just spend too much time. If you overwork it, you start pixel pushing. You just start screwing up the vibe. Totally. And, and we've been, you know, clutching at keeping the um, the looseness in wagons over the years and, and the fun too. For sure. And we've, we've managed it, I think, more or less. Yeah, no doubt. I think what's interesting is that, you know, you guys were kind of coming up at this time where Australian country music was obviously quite prevalent. It, it, there's a huge history of country music, you know, mm-hmm. here, but it's, you know, t- typically, you know, very mainstream stuff. You know, you're some Dusty's, Lee Kernighan, Troy yeah. Cassidy Daily, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the, the quote-unquote alt-country sort of stuff, it's a much, much smaller pond to draw from. For you guys, was it a sort of scene where, you know, you were kind of outliers in that respect to oh. the point where... You couldn't really find any other similar bands to play with, so you're just playing with those kind of like pub rock bands. I got into country as an extension and as a natural evolution from my noise band. It was a rebellious act to play country music in the late 90s. There weren't any. Uh, It was like the Dead Ringer band, you know, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Well, that's it. Oh, what legends they are. But it wasn't, at least in, in Melbourne... I wasn't seeing too many others. There were others. There were some great bands, but not that many. You couldn't get a stud button shirt to save yourself. Yeah. You couldn't get an embroidered country shirt. But now they sell them in Dangerfield. Yeah. Right up there. There's a whole bloody aisle of them. You know what I mean? Times have changed. No Every barista looks like a lumberjack. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like we did it. And and I look back. It's so weird to... to look back at songs and I still play a couple of songs I wrote when I was 20 mm. and there are the, they're these sort of Johnny Cashy country songs and I sometimes think as I'm playing through them it's like Henry you are such a weirdo what the <laughs> hell were you doing yeah, right? like why we why yeah it's like why were you writing these songs like when grunge was literally was still a, like it was still a force mm. you know and it's like what were you writing i'll be home before the evening dun, 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 dun. you know i don't get it i, I was a strange Man, it feels like I was just another person mm. when I was in my in, when I was twenty. And I just don't get it. I still don't get what made me do it. I think a lot had to do with my now bass player Mark Tuckerbag Dawson buying me a Johnny Cash American Recordings album, oh, yeah. um, Solitary Man, oh, the first yeah, yeah, one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that would have been coming out around like when was that? Like ninety four. Not, yeah, something like that. It was mid nineties. I think it might have even been ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. So he gave me that, and that was a a deep dive from there. And I actually re-investigated my mum and my dad's record collections and found some Marty Robbins, oh, and I sure, found some yeah. 
Rod Stewart even, and again, yeah, the Blues Brothers, all that stuff. When I first conceived of, of wagons, it was almost an ironic gesture. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm going I'm to do this to fuck with people. Right, yeah. When we first started playing, there was a lot of shocked looks because these 20-year-old Melbourne kids were playing this trad country stuff. But it, it became non-ironic almost immediately yeah. because I fell in love with the narrative songwriting and I fell in love with that way of expressing things. I had my kind of noise band to sonically express myself but I found there was a real art that I was getting into to try and weave these old, you know, ye old stories and mm. narratives. I was also really getting into Cormac McCarthy novels at the same time. The Border Trilogy, oh, sure. um, you yeah. know, All the Pretty Horses and Blood Meridian. No D, country. Yeah, that sort of, you know, psychedelic Western stuff. Yeah, Do you yeah, remember yeah. the movie Dead Man? Jim Jarmusch film with Johnny Depp okay. that Neil Young did the soundtrack for. Oh, it's, sick. It's crazy trippy. It's got an incredible soundtrack. It's in black and white. Mm. And that, again, I was sort of surrounded with the Johnny Cash record, Cormac McCarthy novels and that were really trippy western stuff and and dead man that was the blueprint for wagons that's sort what of what a cocktail. i was yeah it was it was sort of it and and yeah i like i said i i, I never expected for it to consume my whole existence but i'm i'm very thankful when i talk to musicians uh, in this podcast like we always kind of reflect on the fact that when you're young you have this very idealistic view of like how bands work and how music works and stuff like that and there's you know because we all grow up on like rock biopics and there's always like the the moment where the band like makes it you know right and yeah as as tokenistic as that might seem like i feel like every musician deep down one way or another has been able to find that whether that's getting to travel to a certain place, you know, uh, play a certain venue, uh, meet a certain artist, anything like that. Like, for you, is there anything that kind of comes to mind where you've gotten to do something with this band or by yourself or anything musically where you kind of think, like, if Teenage Me knew that I got to do this, like, he would not fucking believe me? Sure. (laughs) My drummer, Cy the Philanthropist, he said that he always played in bands. He, he started in wagons mm. to appear in print in the street press. Like yes. when the name could be in bold in the street press, in the, in the Beat magazine or in press, he would be cool That's with it. that. That's all you need. And he still says to this day, you know, that, that was fine. That was it. That's all I needed. That's all the motivation. I've lost motivation <laughs> ever since that day. <laughs> so, but it's like, yeah, basically, there have been a few moments. Uh, we have got to tour and we, we, I've got to meet a lot of my idols. I remember Dave Graney calling me on the phone oh, sort of socially <laughs> that was really a big day because i i grew up listening to dave graney did you think it was a joke like you're just like <laughs> you're this is dave graney i'll fuck off yeah. good good one john <laughs> <laughs> totally i mean I, he would call me every few months just to check in he's a real mentor to a lot of people around i can imagine and yeah. and, and for for the first i don't know 10 years of my career he'd regularly check in and just have a gas bag about what we were going through that was a, a kind of moment fast forwarding maybe a few years down the track we got to play a festival we got invited 
all expenses. We got to stay in the Intercontinental Hotel and play a festival in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam. Wow. And it was so, we got to, it was at the RMIT campus in Vietnam. I remember going there, wandering the streets. And as it was, it was the first time I'd been to, to Vietnam and, and the whole culture shock and uh, just jaw-dropping nature of it. Yeah. And it was, and I realised that I had a moment where it's like, oh God, those same stupid-ass country songs that I was writing when I was 20 have got me here. That was like, a, that was a real moment. Totally. There was a, a festival called Interstellar Rodeo in Edmonton, Canada, where I had a similar moment, like some of those Canadian tours. For a lot of bands, it's I know the moment where people first sing along to your songs yeah. that you don't know. You've never met yes, the people totally. and, and they're singing along. Like that's a, that's a big moment for a lot of people. We, we had to, I, I, I don't remember a specific moment when that first started happening to us locally, but I remember people singing along to our song Willie Nelson in Edmonton, Canada, a city that I hadn't really even heard yeah. of before going there <laughs> and 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 the idea that people were singing along to the song there was a surreal kind of moment there was another one where this is probably several more than you're after but apologies that's my vibe no not at all <laughs> I, this is great there was a a moment in brisbane after i released a duets record a solo my, my sort of first foray into a proper solo release it was called unwelcome company i oh, did a bunch yep, of yep, duets yep, yeah. and toured Brisbane, yeah. And I was approached by an amazing man, enigmatic, hairy, charming fellow called Luke Calquist. And he said, I'm a Brisbane guitar maker and I'd love to make you a guitar. And I'm like, mm. yeah, right. And it's like, yeah, I'd love that. I said, yeah, this would, that'd be great, but never expected to hear from him again. But he, sure enough, messaged me the next day and it's like, just tell me, your dream guitar and I was like a you know a Gretsch hollow body gold hardware and just like Elvis Presley I want the sort of name I want Henry Wagons in the fretboard in that sort of font and it happened Damn. I can't believe, and that was that was one of those high and, and you'll see you know if you look me up um <laughs> online you'll see I'm playing it everywhere and and it, that was one of those moments, well, I can retire now. I don't Fuck. need anything more out of my music career Absolutely. than that. Um, Fuck, man. That's so cool. <laughs> so that, was, that was pretty fun. And, you know, uh, just getting... When we started playing gigs, there's a certain moment in a band's career where it, you go from getting a six-pack of Cooper's Red to that moment where you start getting fruit and cheese platters <laughs> all the time. Like, I remember support when I, when I was first starting and supporting people like Cat Power or Bonnie Prince Billy, yeah, I mentioned. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We, we'd, we'd do, we'd, or, or like Steve Earle or something, we'd see them and they'd be in these rooms and there'd always be a cheese and fruit so platter. So decadent. Like, one day, yes. one day, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get the fruit and cheese platter. And we are... One of those bands now, and you. I'm forever thankful. <laughs> forever thankful. When we go into well, not during COVID nineteen, obviously mm. uh, the closest. You know, I, I I crumble off some Mersey Valley when I head to the fridge. But you know, when <laughs> when 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 we play a tour and we go back to the green room, there's a little, there's some crackers. You know, a little bit of salami, Liz. a little bit of cheese. It's like this is all I need. Who cares if anyone's coming to the gig? I got, I can just. I can eat some slices of pear, <laughs> a bit of quince paste. 
<laughs> feel like a king. So anyway, that's probably that's probably enough. That's perfect, man. I love it. I love it. I am curious about the international stuff, like considering, yeah. I guess, you know, country music, as, as we kind of talked about, you know, is very steeped in American tradition and sure. like getting to, you know, I can imagine playing a lot of the places where, you know, those artists would have come up themselves and, you know, especially through the South and stuff like that. Like, what did it mean to you to be able to take your music there and be able to play in those sort of places? Amazing. I got my break in America through... Justin Towns Earl, there's no doubt. I got to support mm. through the the luck of being put on support for Justin Towns Earl by Love Police. Yeah, yeah. I became friends with him and he invited me to tour the West Coast with him and I got to play a bunch of shows with him. Then we went over to Nashville to play. It was in and around the Americana Conference there. We, because of Justin got the interest of a label called 30 Tigers in Nashville and I roamed off the stage after playing the basement in Nashville, probably hopping up on the bar. Same old trick <laughs> that I do at the Anadale. And got offered a place on the label. And the idea to actually hit a home run in Nashville, in the home of, well, the stereotypical home of country music was like uh, jaw-dropping. Yeah. And the idea of, of working out of a sort of home base there and, and getting to find my feet over there was great. But I think, to answer your question... It is weird that an Australian... There, there are lots of Australians in Nashville and lots of Australians that do play country music. Yeah, but of course. I think we are outsiders. And I think people like the perspective, the, the cheek and the obtuse angle that we approach country music. You, do, you don't end up co-writing with an Australian necessarily to write a placid pop country Paint by Numbers song. Yeah. Like even, I have the utmost respect for Keith Urban, but I'm not a fan of his music really. Yeah. It's not my thing. I don't, I, I like a bit more grit. But even Keith Urban's brand of country isn't that twangy. It's it's almost more like a rock thing. I, I, look, this is a... This is a dangerous conversation. <laughs> I don't want to go into... Yeah, he's but, an avid but, listener of my podcast, but, so, you know... Yeah, oh, there you go. There you go. Wait until Nicole but, hears um, about this. You're fucked, buddy. Nicole. <laughs> I remember seeing Nicole Kidman at Whole Foods wandering the streets in Green Hills Whole Foods. It was quite no a surreal shit. moment too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's they hang around, but yeah, essentially, people come to Australians to to get an outside perspective on country music by people that know it. I feel. Yeah. I think there, like you said, there's a rich tradition of country music here. Like Slim Dusty is so respected. And yeah. Casey Chambers goes nuts over there. And yeah. people like that have established a, a notoriety for country. And then there are all these people that continually revisit. And, you know, Nashville's full of amazing Australian songwriters. Geordie Lane's over there at the moment, mm. Ruby Boots. Chris Altman always dips in and out. There's Emma some Swift amazing as well? songwriters. Emma Swift's over there, of course. She's just released her album of Dylan covers. That's right, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. Hilarious. I, I love that postmodern kind of twist. Dylan's been pissing everyone off covering other people's songs for ages. So Emma yeah. Swift's folded it in on him and covered <laughs> Dylan. It's so yeah. good. And even when he's doing his own shit, it's just like, yeah, here's a 16 minute song about JFK. <laughs> and we're like, dude, <sighs> the fuck? It's- <laughs> I love that song. That like he's it's but he's an agitator. He's an artist, totally, Bob yeah. Dylan. 
And, you know, I'll, I'll take it from him. He can give me whatever he wants. <laughs> have, you, have you ever crossed paths with him or, or any one of that ilk? No. Well, I was mere feet from him on his second-to-last Australian tour when he was playing some pretty small theatres. He played the Palais Theatre in Melbourne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't that popular a tour. You know, I think he ended up playing three or four nights at the Palais, but that's less than 2,000 cap. I I really wanted to go. I'd never seen him play, and we got tickets in the front row. And just to be that close to him was kind of like, you know, bowing bowing at his feet. That was pretty special. (laughs) But he couldn't give a fuck that I was there. (laughs) (laughs) And what I really liked about Bob Dylan's show that I haven't seen, that is actually quite country. It's quite Wild West. Because they were all sort of dressed yeah. like a, the, the cast of Deadwood. Totally, yeah. And, and Bolo ties and everything. Yeah. Did you see that tour too? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, they did the State Theatre here in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, so similar size. Do, do you remember how when they finished, the band just all lined up at the front of the stage. They walked up to the front of the stage and didn't bow. They just stood there like mm. a Mexican standoff. They just like stood there like it's like yeah. and adore me now. I'm not going to bow to you. I'm not going to bow down. I'm just standing. <laughs> I will take your adulation and then I will walk off. You know, that was. I thought that was an epic For Wild sure. West move right there. And genius, genius. No bowing. Just yeah. <laughs> clap. You bow to me. I don't bow to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> It's like, yes, boss, absolute boss. So as you mentioned, like you've been, you know, kind of in this world of writing songs and touring and and everything for, you know, kind of half your life more so now. Like, and Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like, again, talking about, you know, coming up when you're young, you know, you have this very clear, obvious, idealistic intent of what you want to do like this is what I'm setting out to do and this is why I'm doing this and like do you feel like as you know your kind of career has changed and you know you've kind of moved in and out of various uh you know projects and and different levels of stature and stuff like that do you feel like the the motivation to keep making music and and writing music and putting music out do you feel that's at least in a similar wheelhouse to what it was when you started out or do you feel it contextually changes as as you get older i'm just as excited as i was releasing music and i really like how there's a different tapestry now Mm. to releasing music it's a lot easier to release music now you know there's a lot more music being released now it's easier to disseminate music now you know a lot of the old industry cogs that were once so important aren't as important now and what it means you can do is there's there's sort of less pressure from record to record you can be a bit more artistically free if you feel like making a synth record if you feel like doing a soundtrack an instrument if if you want to do a solo record if one of my band want to do a solo record, it's just all less complicated you can just do it you throw it at the wall and see what happens you just put it out and you can put it out and yeah. the flip side of that is there's also less heat when you release something you know yeah. Because there is two minutes later, there's another release. So the pros and the cons balance each other out in a weird way. You know, it's easy to release something, but people care less because there's another album by someone that they love just around the corner. There are less yeah. mega bands. There's less, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exciting for better or worse. It's a new playing field that I just 
love engaging with. It's really exciting. We've just put out this new EP that I wasn't planning to really do, but through the yeah. pandemic, everyone was cancelling albums, cancelling tours, and it's like, no, people are actually listening to records for the first time in ages. People are actually sitting down and finding time to consume albums uh, again, and I want to give them a little soundtrack. And we got together a bunch of songs that we had lying around. We put together an ISO song, our cover of Bob Dylan, Speak of the Devil, um, that's on there. Mm. We did full ISO style where I sort of passed around a recording of me doing it and everyone joined in and it's surprisingly cohesive. Nice. I really love doing that. There's going to be the obligatory ISO Brady Bunch video clip coming out too where we're oh, all in the squares. Course, yeah. That's, stay tuned. <laughs> I wanted to put something out because of the pandemic we're in an era where it can we didn't we're with spunk records mm. uh, wagons and my solo stuff's with the abc but it was like i just want to put it out now i don't want to wait for them to, to to slot it into their release schedule yeah not only were we able to do that they were cool with that so i put out your ep oh Aaron, aaron's you know, chill with everything man he's just exactly like, right <laughs> Exactly. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. So yeah, you know, he was he was cool with it. So we just there was a literal two week turnaround in terms of finishing the album and then it hitting the streets. So it came Brilliant. out on Friday and 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 it's good and it's it's led me to talk to you, which is nice. Oh mate, look at that! <laughs> it's destiny. Yes, exactly. Meant to be. <laughs> I wish I, I we it. I wish we were at a part. I, I like I. I, I'm looking forward to the day when we can do this again and I am actually see, I'm enjoying seeing you now but you know on a computer screen it's not quite the same I'm mm. looking forward to doing of it course. with the beer uh, one day that would be fantastic man but in the meantime yeah. we will wrap it up here but yeah. before we do that I ask this of all of my guests and now it is your turn I want to sure. know about the best and the worst shows that you have ever played <laughs> okay the Best show. Let's start with the good news. I've already talked about Vietnam. The show actually wasn't that good uh, when it came to that. But I think probably the best show, one of the most memorable, was actually another Canadian show that took place in Saskatchewan, Canada. Very, very northern part of Canada, near a town called Big River. There was a festival up there, and they only get two or three weeks of summer. And, but it was apocalyptic summer. It's the only time that the insects get to survive properly. So there were these swarms of locusts. Oh, my God. And just through the fields, but we sort of rode horses through. Um, we, we got to ride in a wagon up into these prairies. We saw wild buffalo as a lead-up to the show. And then we got to headline one of the nights of the festival people were just so pumped that the weather was good and that there was this strange australian band playing and it was wild and chaotic when we pulled into the venue they said we were staying at a cabin right we drove up the dirt road and there that's like that's where you'll be sleeping it's like i thought we were sleeping in a cabin but there were just like two poles sticking out of the ground we're building the cabin now and by the end of the day, it was a, f- a full log cabin had been built by eight Canadian men 
complete with a, a foyer. Oh my god! And a, a passageway, and a it was That's it so was absolutely insane. It was so efficient. Oh my god! And it was a good gig, and we we had a place to crash, and it still you could still smell the freshly cut cedar, and that that was really exciting. Oh man! Um, so that was Amazing. probably one. That, that was a really fun gig, and the worst gig. I think the worst gig was at a industry sort of night called the Folk Alliance in Kansas mm-hmm. City in the United States. In and of itself, I've had some great gigs at the Folk Alliance. I've done it twice. But this is what it is. It's a bunch of acoustic quieter acts. It's very polite yes. that take over a floor of a hotel. Have you heard of this thing? Vaguely, yeah. It's like It, it yeah. sounds like some so, usual big sound bullshit, sir. So. Yeah. Well, one floor is dedicated to the Folk Alliance. Right. And I'm talking a a floor of the hotel. It's just like a four-star hotel, like an average-like hotel Mm. with the beds and the rooms. But those rooms become showcase rooms for folk artists. So you get to roam up a hallway of... 20 to 30 rooms, you know, whatever, 301, 302, 302. And the schedule is you just wander into this hotel room and see folk artists play with no PA in the corner of the room next to the bedside table. In between the bedside table and the curtain is just this folk artist. And then there's about 10 to 15 industry professionals sitting, eating peanuts, sitting there watching you. It's pretty amazing. I've seen great gigs by... Artists like Steve Poltz, Dory Freeman I saw playing there, amazing LA yeah. band, The Wild Reeds. They're all playing like completely acoustic in a hotel room. It's nuts. It's crazy. They're, some of them are just sitting on the bed. I got there that night and had to play a show. And I realised it was sort of coming out of Australian Christmas. I hadn't picked up the guitar. I'd flown for 36 hours to get there and I hadn't really practiced and there were all these intricate picking mandolin players the best folk players in the world playing folk lines I show up jet lagged I haven't practiced I show up to my first gig my first showcase in a hotel room with no PA I'm sitting there and I just couldn't remember I just screwed up I just screwed up the songs and I wasn't in top form and I remember going to bed that night it's like I have flown so far to get here to play a shit gig. What the hell oh, did no. I think? What, how complacent How complacent have I become that I can be away, spend my money, whoever's money, to come here and do such a shit job? Luckily, I had another few gigs and, and kind of got to redeem myself. But that was the worst. That, was a, that stuck out to me as the, as the worst gig when you can't remember your songs and your songs are only three chords yeah. to begin with. <laughs> you got no excuse. Oh, my God. I dove deep into the uh, mini bar. Oh, that no night, doubt. That's yeah. for sure. There was no no mini vodka bottle left standing. Not a one. Uh, after Not that uh, show. The new Wagons EP is called Need a Ride. It is out now. It will be out still by the time that you hear this. Henry fucking Wagons, yes. thank you very, very much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it, man. You legend, David James Young. Thank you for indulging me in such a long and amazing conversation. Thanks for your time. That is my absolute pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in love.
just listened to a not-for-print podcast. Independent Australian Podcasting.